Welcome to Xavier's Dream Podcast. I'm your host, Rain Coleman. This podcast is a carefree black nerd examination over the newest dawn of X-Men. When you're listening to the podcast, please live tweet and comment using the hashtags Xavier's Dream Pod and XD Pod. Also, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast listening app. Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Podcasts, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. And <laughs> make sure to show me some love on your social medias. IG, Carefree Black Nerd, Twitter, Carefree Blurred, FB, all that, all that good stuff. And when you do that, use those hashtags as well. Now, on to episode 8, Powers of X, issue 4, Something Sinister. Many universes ago on a place called Battleworld, also known as Latharian, there was nothing. Followed by everything. Swirling, burning specks of creation that circled life-giving suns. God Doom created the light. Then there was Earth. The firmament cooled and he raised up a land this holy land the world, and upon it he set his kingdoms. Bar Sinister is one of the domains of Battleworld, its baron is Mr. Sinister. This territory is made from the remains of a world dominated by Mr. Sinister and his army of clones. It has been said by Mr. Sinister's cook, Fair Devil, Matt Murdock, who was one of the few normal humans inhabiting Bar Sinister, that the Bar Sinister is ruled not by an individual but a virus. A self-replicating tribe of genetic jerks. Clones can't do everything, of course. For some things the Master still needs individuals. He needs artists. He needs tame wonders, controlled by teleport tags or simple terror. He needs slaves. Alright, so first of all, before getting into anything, I want to say that I stand. Nathaniel Essex. This sassy son of a mutant is giving me, uh, what is it? He who shall not be named for the Powerpuff Girls. Like when you read through this book, it will become so apparent that this, uh, so yeah, uh, be looking out for a carefree black nerd, um, episode within a few weeks where, uh, this, something like this will be addressed. Uh, shout out to John of the John Effect podcast. Um, so getting into this issue, something sinister, we open up uh, one year, oh, excuse me, on year one at Bar Sinister. Magnus and Charles are entering the castle, mountainous building that is Bar Sinister. Um, let's see. But they are greeted with none other <laughs> than hot strangers. Now with this, they are met with a series of insults shady remarks from this like armored clad helmeted character now as the reader you don't know what's going on you don't know who this is um and this person asks them to state their business but insists that they do not ask for help or a handout because it is um (laughs) okay so it's it's apparent that i am reading this in a different voice than the rest of the book it's very comedic actually but he's pretty much saying that um uh, don't ask for a handout because while yes we have much we really can't be bothered with the sad problems of sad people oh look you're wearing a cape how perfect like it's just like we've gotten through several issues of house and powers and we've gotten to issue four of powers and everything has been so serious such a uh, race against the clock and then we get a abrupt like 
interlude or or hard left where we get this character in particular who is uh who says i'm guessing you don't have an appointment because who wears that having the other like what you... so charles and eric are here for very important matters but you're getting stopped and chastised by this shady sassy little motherfucker <laughs> so charles tells him that we do not have an appointment but it's important that we see nathaniel essex now the person stopping them pulls his helmet off and it is nathaniel essex so uh he proceeds to say which one there are so many of us which includes you in that there's something larger going on here uh eric says we'll settle for the one in charge he laughs the one in charge well Aren't you something? Yes. The outfit's ridiculous, but you do have an air about you. There is no denying that. Your friend, however, and the way this is drawn, like, shout out to the creative team again. He, this is another scene that I would love to see played out on screen, and not for anything but my own satisfaction to see this. I, I want to hear what this particular sinister sounds like to the creative team. Like, what should he be? Um, y'all already know what I think. <laughs> so he says, looking at Xavier, this just won't do. It will not pay well at court. A sad little man in his sad peasant suit, stuck in his little sad, and so he's about to say sad chair. But Eric throws this man against this wall. So Bar Sinister looks like, like crystals. Um, it does form the shape of something castle-like but it looks like it's built out of nothing but crystals and excuse me and so when he throws when eric throws him against this wall with a big thunk and there's shattered rock everywhere it just looks like crystal to me like a like frozen um elsa's uh castle that she built out of ice it looks something like that so <laughs> While while Charles, uh, excuse me, while Eric is throwing this man against the wall, Charles is calling me like, "Eric, we need this man," and he says, "No, Charles, this man needs to decide if he wants to escort us inside, or if he wants to continue thusly and suffer the consequences." Now, one thing I do like, um, I love when they draw Magneto, and they show the helmet, and it's nothing but darkness, or you can't see his face. In this instance, you can only see his eyes. Now, everything about Bar Sinister is very red, pinkish, a little purple. Um, and so Magneto, of course, fits very nicely in this space, aesthetically anyways. So so the narration or the text boxes have us about appearing excuse me, at Bar Sinister in year one. After the attack, it says two minutes later. So clearly this uh, version of Essex decided that he was going to follow the rules and uh take take the duo to see sinister now we get into this big open i don't know like ballroom where the sinister we just met is bowing he says i present to you the mutants magneto and professor charles xavier but you can see in the background all of these different characters so they're kind of faceless but the closer that we get to the real nathaniel we see that they all have a face that is Nathaniel. So it's like a big brood of cloned versions of Mr. Sinister. Um, hello, thank you for seeing us. We've come to stop. Before either of you says another word, I want to make one thing perfectly clear. And now this is the 
um, the main sinister sitting on his throne. He says, I love that cape. Amazing. Why do I not have a cape? How do I not have a cape? So there is a another sinister <laughs> next to him that's very much a Alfred Butler type with this like drawn with this look on his face and I <laughs> he says <clears throat> it is a crime sir an outrage honestly I've always thought you should wear one well if you really thought that why didn't you say something uh, it slipped my mind execute this man so in the time of what five panels we are getting one, we already know there's an established uh, layer of clone sinisters. We know that there's one in charge. We know that there are others who seem to be kind of working for him. I don't know if they're just uh, clones to serve him as he is some some god. Well, we do see some women sinisters knelt down in their dresses like presenting fruit to him. So he has to be some sort of king. Um, there are variations in these sinister clones. I don't it, it's a, it's a lot so for me my knowledge of Nathaniel Essex Sinister is limited I know about him I know about his mutantness I know about his um well rather being uh experimented on I know about him in Apocalypse I know about him I didn't follow him as closely as others so for me I'm learning a lot um, those of you out there who are a bit more familiar with Sinister, uh, and not just from like the 90s cartoon, <laughs> let me know. Tweet me, Carefree Blurred, use the hashtag Xavier's Dream Pod and XDPod. Make this a conversation, of course, because I want to learn. The whole reason of starting this podcast was to fall back in love with the X-Men again. So if you do have any um, further details about any of the Sinisters that may appear in this book, let me know. That being said, he is brutally murdered, like, right away. So the King Sinister will call him. He says, now, how can I help you? So Charles proceeds, actually, it's our hope that we can help one another. As we're aware of your ongoing endeavors in the area of genetics. And how would you know about that? Oh, we have our ways. Well, honestly, I'm not surprised. Word is getting out. I do amazing work. So again, I'm I'm reading this in my mind in such a not necessarily just comedic, but in such a drastic way than what I've been reading the series at whole. And for Hickman <clears throat> to make this kind of um, not change um, to explore this area of Mister Sinister is both odd and not surprising because again sinister's whole look is very 80s rock glam gives me very queer very um uh progressive in that regard but there's there's been a mrs sinister before like there's been so many it it would seem that he would be a very queer character and that is the way that he's coming off to me however flamboyant or however um comedic he comes up very queer and I don't know if that's me projecting, which I doubt, or if that's something that, which I doubt because others have said some of the same thing. Again, be prepared to see the um, CBN episode in a few weeks from now. So, Magneto is tired of this shit. He's tired of Sinister. He's tired of these Sinisters. He wants answers and he wants you know stuff being rectified now. So, <clears throat> he says, we also know about the library you're building. Your attempt at cataloging the world's DNA. 
Don't judge. I can't be shamed into changing who I am. We don't want you to. What we're suggesting is a slight deviation of focus, says Charles. Continue with your broad indexing if you want, but we need you to prioritize making a comprehensive database of all mutant DNA, safe, secure, redundant. We can provide you with the samples you might have trouble getting on your own, including ours. So this is that life of Moira's where we trusted Sinister. It has to be. Like, there's no other explanation for him being here. The Chimera and everything spawned from this moment right here. So, he says, Sinister, Well, as I'm sure even a serf would comprehend, the point of one collecting is found in the value of one's collection. So explain to me, why would I take such a special interest in the mutant gene? Xavier, excuse me, Charles, Charles, Eric says, I have seen the future, and this cause, mutantdom, is yours. No, I think not. I've played around with introducing that aberrant gene into the superior genetic structure. <laughs> and let me tell you, I didn't like the results, and I won't tolerate such. And immediately, in his rant, King Sinister is shot in the friggin' head. Bro. Now, again, y'all know I read these books covering up the right page to make sure that I don't spoil anything for myself. And I slowly take in every single panel. And this was actually an accident that this um, murder was uh, covered up when I was reading. It was like my hand or arm or something. When I saw him get shot in the head, I, I kind of sort of jumped, but not really. Like, in my head, I jumped back. Um, again, something I would love to see played out on screen. Because no sooner did we turn the page, did someone poke their head out. But I will. This is Sinister. I'm just going to say Sinister Prime. Um, so what we've gotten throughout the first of this book is that we've gotten the Sinister who is like the doorman in his big armored, almost juggernaut looking armor. Then we move on to, I'll say King Sinister, who has on the black outfit with the red diamond in his chest and looks like a white fur that is on his chair. We also see the clones of Sinisters who are dressed very Victorian-ish. And then we get to this, what I'll call Sinister Prime, who has the full outfit, the black skin tight leather, the red belt, the red diamond, and the cape that's very much like strips of leather that isn't too hard but isn't too soft they have that bowing in it with the big red like Doctor Strange type collar I, bruh he kicks over the decapitated body of what I'll say is King Sinister and he says Psst, it's me the Sinister with the mutant gene and if you must know, my mutant power is overthrowing tyrants and being obviously fabulous. Like, what? So, it, it, uh, I, bruh, I, I enjoyed this. I enjoyed every single part of this scene from start to finish. Like, this section of the book. Uh, <laughs> Eric responds with, I can see that. So, Prime Sinister sits in the, on the throne. He says, so, we're in this together. I love the ambition. I love every bit of it. So tell me, partners, what's next for our sinful secret confederacy? And Charles does the whole telepathic thing, puts his fingers up to his temples, and he says, first, you need to begin the good work. And then, you need to forget why you're doing it, and that we were ever here. 
until the day I tell you to remember. That right there is very vague and it's kind of terrifying because I'm thinking this good work that he's doing, the fact that you're manipulating his mind and I'm assuming everyone around him, are we to believe that you gave Sinister your uh, mutant DNA after which he went on and did whatever he had to do, which led to the chimera and everything. And then you, when, when would he have remembered? Like I'm, this raises more questions than it answers. And I guess that's the point of like good storytelling, but it's very frustrating um, in a good way. Like I'm not frustrated, like, oh, I'm pissed off at this book, but it's frustrating because I'm trying to piece together this uh, mystery, this story, much like the rest of the, you know, nerddom as well, and not necessarily do it before the last issue of the series, but just in general, because we know there are going to be so many stories that will spring out of the end of this Powers of X, excuse me, Powers of Ten and House of X run. Um, yeah, so that being said, I, this has been good. Welcome to the Red Diamond. This is where all the best news and gossip from Bar Sinister resides. Now get ready for some secrets. Sinister Secret 1. He's trying to pretend that no one noticed he was wearing red shoes but truly is Sinister Sinister isn't fooling anyone. Sinister Secret 2. And speaking of fashion, the Whisper Network has turned into a roar regarding the return of this trend-setting mutant who was cut down in his prime. Will someone please tell all these mutants to stop wearing human clothes and join the stampede across their island full of flowers to the flower that's the fullest? Sinister Secret 3 Years ago, a deceased redhead pretender made a pact with the devil. When she passed on, most believed that any secrets she had went with her to the grave. Won't everyone be surprised when they find out not only is this not true, but she left behind a whole lot more than secrets. Sinister secrets revealed. While every sinister has been busy wondering how they might be affected by current events, almost no one noticed what washed ashore. A word of advice to all things sinister, don't embrace the revelry, or there won't be anything for you to celebrate. Sinister secret 5. Certain people are wondering where the tyrant dispelling Sinister got his mutant gene. And while that really isn't an interesting story, whom the D. N. A. Originally belonged to is. John Proud Star Thunderbird Sinister Secret 5. He's the best there is at what he does. She's married with a kid. The husband knows exactly what's going on, but how is he to point the finger? He's up to much the same and more. Maybe this is just the new normal on the mutant island. Sinister Secret 6 Everyone believed that the plan of this progerian mutant with secret sinister ties was foiled, but little did the gifted ones know that the destroyed samples were switched out beforehand. Sinister Secret 7 Two brothers jump out of a plane, and for the longest time, until he was discovered, many wondered if there was a third. If we told you there were more, would you believe me? Probably not. Sinister Secret 8. For years, this fittest of all mutant has routinely surrounded himself with a particular numbered entourage. These hangers on stick around for a while until they are eventually replaced with newer, more exciting numbers. 
What most people don't know is that if the original members returned, these pretenders would be dropped so fast their heads would spin. Sinister Secret 9. They say the kids are alright, but all is not right in paradise. This non-couple couple has been apart so long, friends are expecting that when they see each other again fireworks are going to ensue. Is the universe ready? Judging by how unprepared everyone was for what's happened so far, we kind of doubt it. Sinister secrets revealed. We don't hear this word spoken often, so when we do, it's best to pay attention, because when you square that circle, what took a long time to build can come crumbling down rather quickly. Inferno, Sinister Secret 10. Which brainwashed mutant Sinister was replaced before a certain bolt someone knew and has been in on the game for almost as long as the game was being played. Shush. Okay, so now that we have continued past the red diamond gossip network there are a few mutants so i think i know who these people are not entirely sure so you tweet me or let me know if you know or if i'm correct or if i'm wrong uh three sinister secret three i think that's madeline Pryor, uh and i'm thinking that maybe the things she left behind were possibly another child another offspring something like that i know for secret seven we refer to the third summer's brother i'm thinking a few things either there are more summer's children or brothers out there or someone who we already know is a summer's brother i think for a time gambit was hinted at at being a summer's brother and it was someone else so i'm wondering if that's what it is um let's see eight of course that's apocalypse and his four horsemen with that being said, are the original, original OG number one Four Horsemen coming back? Uh, ten, speaking about the clones, I'm thinking could that possibly be Magneto? Because he'd be the one person who there's like a shock that he's been here this whole time and he's the clone. Him or Moira, I think those would be the most interesting ones. But the one that I have to give credit to, Karen, uh, who I shouted her out before uh on an episode prior i forget which one but secret number nine about the kids are all right she said and it makes complete sense now that that would be everett thomas sink back from the dead sinister secret nine just to reiterate they say the kids are all right but all right is not right impaired oh all right it's not right impaired that's i can read y'all this non-couple couple has been apart so long Friends are expecting that when they see each other again, fireworks are going to ensue. Is the universe ready? Judging by how unprepared everyone was for what's happened so far, we kind of doubt it. Fireworks, Jubilee. The kids are alright. Non-couple couple, that's her instinct. It gotta be. It gotta be. <laughs> and um, considering how uh, Hickman seems to be a fan of Generation X, um, case in point, and really X-Men history at large, but Generation X... With uh, the Phoenix and whatnot, I'm thinking that that's probably him. So shout out to Karen, who was the first person I saw um, who pointed that out. So, whew. so moving on, we're on X Men months ago, so we're in uh, timeline one or the one for House of X. Open up on this vast landscape, and then there is a mm, Blackbird jet, whatever, and we see two faraway figures. One saying, "I'm not gonna lie, Professor." I wish you told me where we were taking a vacation. I would have packed a bathing suit and probably some sunscreen. So this is Cypher. 
Um, and the professor is walking on both legs. He is not in a wheelchair. Um, he says, oh, that the world would allow things like you and me some respite from the toils of everyday life, Douglas. I'm sorry to say this is not a vacation. And he's dressed like, I don't know, a big game hunter or something. Uh, he points his arms out or extends his arms and says, this is Krakoa. So this is pretty much the origination of origination the origin story for the new Krakoa we have him and Douglas talking and Charles talk about how he can communicate with Krakoa uh and so they're walking and it's 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 a pretty good conversation um the days of Krakoa being our adversary are long past it took some effort to understand the island but eventually I was able to telepathically make a connection now this is Charles talking with Douglas and they're going through this grassy area that's very reminiscent of some of the past issues of powers of 10 like in that biodome where the men and the woman adam and eve character were existing in that space and they also look a lot like the krakoa of current time in house of x now we open up we see this big gigantic like grandmother willow type um tree that is the face of krakoa so Professor X tells him to say hello. He's talking about I can communicate with them. And the text for Krakoa is very alien because Krakoa is an alien. So Douglas is looking up at him. He's like, oh, you know, translate for me. Ask him this, ask him that. So Charles says, you know, how are you doing today, my friend? Krakoa responds. And Charles says, he says he's sad. Now, this is where things get interesting. <clears throat> Douglas says to him, let me guess, the telepathic conversation you're having is a lot closer to empathetic than actual language, right? I mean, yeah, you're talking, but not at a complex, nuanced level. Xavier, friend, island, friend, friends happy, friends many years, that kind of thing, yeah? So, Charles, it seems to be like you've been offended. Are you saying Krakoa isn't sad? No, he's definitely unhappy. It's just a bit more complicated, deeper than that. So he says, what did he say? And then that's when we get that new origin story. So Douglas touches him and he says, I'm sure I missed a bit of it, but. And then we go into, <clears throat> ask Krakoa. We were Akara, the one island. Ancient before that word existed, but not yet old in the way that they were old. The twilight sword of the enemy tore the world asunder. And what was one became two. Akaro and Krakoa. And from the chasm between them, from whatever wicked place they came, the enemy poured into this world. Now, when this story is being retold, there is a beautiful, vast land, which is Akara, Akara, excuse me, and then a sword comes up. And I immediately thought that that was Ilyana Rasputin with that big old sword, but it wasn't. It seems like these titans, these like. Six creatures have emerged from uh, the center of the, the land's core. And I'm thinking, is this Earth? Because the next panel we see Apocalypse with these two, like, I don't know what you call these things. Um, the Soviet Union flag thing, like this sword that got a hook in it. Anna, y'all tell me what it is. So the story continues. If not for the man who was not a man, the first mutant, the warrior god in blue the world would have fallen. But using all his mighty powers, he stood in the gap, pushed Akara through the chasm, set his fort to sentinel that land, and sealed the chasm shut, never to be opened again. 
It was a thing that had to happen. It was. But Krakoa remains alone. A half, not a whole. For now and forever. So pretty much the four horsemen defeated the Titan-esque monsters. And my understanding is that they like sealed away the second part of Krakoa. His sister, brother, being, or his other half. And that's interesting because that's something to unpack. Like, will that affect this new Dawn of X? Will that be a plot point or a uh, big, interesting idea that runs through some of the other titles? Like, I want to see what that's about. Um, and then, there you go. Later, uh, Douglas is left on his own. He's like, man, it sure is beautiful here. Professor's like, I hope you like it. Well, I'm glad you like it because I was hoping that you wouldn't mind spending some time here on your own. And then, I'm not sure, maybe you guys tell me, does Douglas have to eat? I know he has the form of a man, but he has the phoenix arm and he has the techno-organic, like, look and all. Does he need to eat? If so, the professor left him left him there with, like, a bag? Like, was there months worth of food in there? So, he says, ah, Professor X has plans. I'm interested. He says, it's better if I show you. And he does his little telepathy thing, puts his fingers up. And Douglas has what looks like is a quick, like, shock, attack. I don't even want to say seizure, but something very interesting. Um, he's like, yeah, well, that's ambitious. Xavier's like, is that worth doing? He's like, man, I don't know. And this is just like the beginning of Douglas and Krakoa working together to create this new language, this new system. Like, it's... Ah, this is cool. This is nice. And it's nice to get this little origin well after we've established so many other things. Like, we've seen Cypher talking to Krakoa in issue one of House of X. But now, to see the origin, I like that. That's cool. That is cool. So, moving on to the current Krakoan systems. There's a chart that has Krakoa, which is the interface that was built by Douglas Ramsey, Cypher. This is a translation program so that other mutants can interact with the island without needing Cypher to act as a middleman. We have the transit monitoring, we have the which is Sage. We have the defense observation, which is Black Tom Cassidy. We have a secondary external systems, Trinary, and a Overwatch data analysis, which is Beast. Now, remember that tumor-ish aspect of Krakoa that even Krakoa does not know about? It seems like that may be working... That may be represented here. I'm not sure because there's a fifth line that is not represented like the other four I just listed. And this says, note, while there has been no actual evidence of a Krakoan skunk works existing, there are rumors of a massive subterranean laboratory where Forge is busy building biological machines that could possibly be used to manage a mutant expansion on the island. Now, when I first read through this, I read Extinction. I was like, what? Are you going to kill the mutants? But I'm thinking that maybe it's a subterranean, like Morlock-style underground space where if we do have thousands more, millions more mutants emerge, be it from the human world or on Krakoa, we can house them. That's what it seems like to me. Um, but you guys let me know what you think. So moving on to the final kind of plot point of the story, we go far ahead to year 1000. Now this is where the Phalanx and the, I don't know, future people are speaking. And the uh, one older of the, of the bunch says, I am the first of the elders and this my seer self. We are ready for conversion. We hope for ascension. 
And the Phoenix care little for hope. Will you ascend? And I like this. This Phoenix is very ominous and threatening. Much like the ones from the Phoenix Covenant back in like the 300s of X-Men. Like 314, 316-ish of Uncanny X-Men, the first series. But this Phoenix seems very... It seems more terrifying than before. So he continues. We have to try, don't we? Isn't that what's next? The idea of your great union existing just beyond our reach is something we cannot tolerate. Do it. So they're talking about the ascension that was spoke about like issues ago. So the Phoenix does this thing where they grab this spear and it looks like maybe turns it into dust, disintegrates it. Uh, and I think while doing that, they're like getting the, the information from it. So the guy says, uh, well, am I in there anywhere? Anywhere there in we, that's the Phoenix. If so, then you'll know the sequence as I know the sequence. And between us, we, the only two. Uh, so the Phoenix continues that there was a city on the mountain and behind it the sun shone brightly and then too brightly as it expanded to consume the city, the mountain, the world. So it worked. Now I will say that this last part I am going to need a bit of help from you guys because I'm understanding but I'm not understanding fully. The Phoenix says yes it worked and then they do this Venom-ish disappearing act. And reemerges as a as the same sphere that they kind of disintegrated initially. So um, then there's a younger woman of the of the group. She says the question still remains. Yes, do you find this form, this conversion acceptable? Await response. Await answer. That's the phoenix. I don't understand what just happened. So she lets him know, which she let us know because I sure didn't understand either. The Phoenix are the forerunners of a galactic empire that we believe has dominion over the entirety of the known universe. Of course, empire is inaccurate as we believe that neither their actions nor desires are in any way imperial. It's just the only word that conveys the scale of what we're talking about. What do they want? It's not what they want, it's what they do. The Phoenix have the ability to integrate them, any machine intelligence into their collective, which after a period of time, if that intelligence is found worthy or useful, it will eventually ascend and be part of the greater collective subdued into the Empire. Now the person she's speaking with is the librarian from the first issue of House of Ten, or Powers of Ten rather. He continues, we clearly now know they find us useful, which should be celebrated. But here you are, not celebrating at all. Not one bit. She continues. <clears throat> Everything always comes down to a question of cost, doesn't it? The problem is that this method doesn't work with biological entities. So either, the, oh, excuse me, so the elder made a host machine, an empty vessel, and copied himself over to it before Phoenix absorbed it. We just confirmed that he was in there somewhere. Okay, so the librarian still looks a bit confused. So you're trying to trick them? No, we don't think there's any tricking them. We just hope that we found a way around the problem. Now we wait to see if they find it acceptable. Now that, again, is the end, and I am damn confused. I don't know what is going on. Um, I see this big ball of the same cipher type thing with this, like, phoenix covered 
skin and this lightning like i don't know what's going on so if you guys can tell me please 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 let me know uh, so that's the end of this issue of xavier's dream pod and this issue of powers of 10 now guys please let me know in this issue of powers of 10 was xavier's dream fulfilled or was it deferred i don't i don't even know honestly i do not know what is going on if you do please let me know Again, guys, if you want to have your voice, questions, comments, concerns, whatever on the show, please email me at carefreeblacknerd at gmail.com. In the subject line, say Xavier's Dream, Xavier's Dream Pod, something to that effect. Send me that voice memo and I'll put it on the show and discuss your uh, your comments. Uh, what I don't I don't know. I'm just excited that Sync might be coming back. Fingers crossed that he will definitely be back. I think that we deserve we deserve it yes <laughs> um i don't know y'all this has been an interesting turn uh more questions are being brought up and i'm hoping that we get answers in these next few issues because in a couple weeks this series will be over and the new dawn will be here so that being said guys please make sure to reach out to me on twitter carefree blurred is the handle use that hashtag xavier's dream potter xd pod all other social medias carefree black nerd is the handle there and um until next time stay carefree stay nerdy stay geeky ascend do not trust sinister but kind of trust them if you need to become a chimera if you have to um stand up for the mute race and again, the mutants are a stand-in for black folks. Uh, <laughs> all right, y'all.